One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I was the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I like to stay alive. Oh, I'd like to go to Nigeria. I'd say it to your face, not say it to now. I'm down Twelfth Field, and we'll see them. What you're doing down here? You're showing me, man. You are very welcome to today's edition of the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast with me, Ken Early, and you, Kieran Murphy. Hello there, Ken. How are you? Uh, very good, thanks. Uh, I wanted to begin today with a question: mm-hmm. Who is the top goal scorer in the history of the Manchester Derby? Uh, hmm. Well, Eric Cantona seemed to get a lot of goals against Manchester City. Well, he got plenty. He got eight, but that doesn't make him the top scorer. Top scorer, I'm afraid. It's some distance of some distance behind the leader who has 11 goals. Uh, Sir Bobby Charlton. Nine goals, only fourth in the uh, all-time list. I am. I'm, I'm naming people who have got a lot of goals in the Manchester Derby. Oh, it's not Wayne Rooney, is it? Yes, it is. Wayne oh, Rooney. Wow, it is Wayne Rooney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the problem. That's the problem. That's Wayne Rooney's problem all over. It's it's such an obvious answer. Obviously, it's Wayne Rooney. He's the guy who's been there the longest. He's been the guy who's been scoring goals for the longest time. And yet, was there any chance of you guessing him? I suppose you eventually guessed him after what was he your third guess? Yeah. Um, yeah, Wayne Rooney. Yeah, I don't think I did that badly. I mean, well, eleven. Uh, I mean, you, you summoned up from the past names like Eric Cantona and Bobby Charlton. You never went for uh, Franny Lee or Joe Hayes. Both of whom have more goals in this fixture than either of the men you mentioned. Franny Lee. Wow. Franny Lee, yeah. And, uh, ten goals, just one behind Wayne Rooney's overall record. Um, there is another current player in the uh, sort of top ten. I mm. wonder if you can guess. I'm only going to give you one guess. Uh, Sergio Aguero? Sergio Aguero, uh, who has eight. Uh, God, I'm actually not bad at this game. Once Owen gets, just gets the <laughs> hell out of here, then I, I'm actually... You know, I'm I'm respectable enough. So Wayne Rooney has this, uh, you know, an awesome record in, in this fixture: more goals than Bobby Charlton, more than Eric Cantona, more than Paul Scholes, mm. Franny Lee, Sergio Aguero, any of these guys. Jose Mourinho, meanwhile, has no experience, none whatsoever, in this fixture. He he could have had a friendly game, but they in Beijing, but they called it off. Fewer Manchester derbies than David Moyes, fewer than Frank Clark, fewer than Brian Horton. You see what I'm getting at here? Wayne Rooney should pick the Manchester United team for the Manchester Derby. Well, he's got a lot more experience at this level. Yeah, he should. He should. I mean, it makes sense, actually, now that you mention it. So what do you think is going to happen? Mourinho would be a damn fool to pick the Manchester United team and their tactics for the game this weekend. He can't, in all 
honestly look himself in the mirror and pick this Manchester United team. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I think maybe his ego, his ego is such that he might do that anyway. <laughs> he might go for it. But we can all see that there's only one man really with the experience, uh, the weight of experience in this fixture who should be taking charge. I wonder if you're already sick of the build-up to this. I've seen some people complaining along those lines. Well, certainly it, it did seem a little odd that in the last Premier League weekend, which was like, which is now almost two weeks ago, they were they were heavily promoting this game. Come on, from two weeks out. But I mean, I have to but, say, but it's obvious why they're doing it. Well, I mean, to distract people from the massive bring down that is international football. <laughs> but also because this is a huge game. This is this is a this is a really interesting game. Um, I mean, we have you... internationals all next week. But don't worry, real football returns <laughs> with the Manchester Derby in two weeks' time. I mean. I, I I don't know why. I mean, people it is can, gigantic. It is a gigantic game. There are things to to get. Annoyed. I mean, there was the Zlatan video. Have you seen Zlatan's video? Yes. So what I love about this video is the seamless integration of banter and marketing. Yeah. As Zlatan in an Instagram post, which has been seen by I don't know how many countless millions of people at this stage, um, is there at a table, um. And he's he's got a pen and he's writing some stuff. He's folding up some stuff, putting it in a box with some clothes. He's got a pen and he's he's writing away. And then you see what he's he's addressed it to attention. Claudio Bravo, um, Manchester City Football Club, and it's some training gear, which Zlatan is saying, you know, good luck with the new training gear. You'll need it. I get down, do some extra practice because you face me, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Of course, it was all Zlatan's personal range, which uh, everybody got to see in the video um uh, i don't know if you'd be interested in any training you yourself but i mean the name of the Might range is fresh in your something. mind i mean yeah zlatan's got a new training i mean maybe if if i wore zlatan's training gear i'd be you know as hip to the groove uh, as, uh, you might be. I mean, we we'll talk. Um, we're going to talk to Richie. Richie's coming in, and we'll talk to him about. Uh, we didn't really get a chance to talk since the Ireland match about what happened there, uh, and also all the stuff that was happening during the week. It wasn't just a game. There was also issues to do with uh, the treatment of fans, uh, Irish fans who went to Belgrade being searched for, you know, uh, contraband on their way into the ground. Uh, there appeared to be a risk of them. Uh, causing some kind of uh, uproar, uh, so unleashing some riotous behaviour with the um, with the uh, banners and so on of a banner, that they yeah. were suspected of of bringing to the ground. So we'll talk about that with Richie, and also the issue of um, Martin O'Neill's contract and why it is that if the FAI and Martin O'Neill um, have agreed terms and are happy to continue working with each other, why don't they just sign the contract with each other as is normal in these situations? But we will get into that with Richie after the report on sport. So I was looking at the, I've been, you know, obviously absorbing the build-up to the Manchester Derby, mm -hmm. which is... Haven't we all, Ken? Yeah. And I've thought this week that Pep Guardiola seems to be getting it from not all angles, but most angles. He's had quite a tough uh, week in terms of people having a pop, uh, like having a can. pop at Pep. Um, well, uh, there was a uh, a piece which I suppose maybe I mean Zlatan obviously is, is going to be a figure of huge interest in this because Zlatan, uh, the champion of Jose Mourinho's team, comes up against the manager, the only manager really who's decided nah he's not really he's he's not really all that 
Zlatan. I'm not. I'm not too keen. And uh, there was a piece by Daniel Taylor, sort of uh, going back through, kind of unearthing various, you know, digging back through their relationship to find all the meanest things that uh, Zlatan had said about Pep Guardiola. Well, you know, things like he is not a man. <laughs> he is not. He is not a man. I mean, by which I guess Zlatan means. Uh, he doesn't behave in the way I expect a man, real man, to behave. You know, a real man is, is up front. A real man, a real man wrestles naked with you on the rug in front of the fireplace. You know, <laughs> as God intended. A real, you know, a real man. If you uh, kick over um, a sort of a, tra- a, a a kit box in a rage, in a petulant rage, a real man. Kicks Understand. it straight back. No, yeah. kicks it straight back in your face, and then you know, point. Tony Pulis sounds like the kind of real man that uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic could respect. A man who once leapt from the shower uh, to chastise uh, James Beattie, the player who who uh, who was annoying him. Um, the story that was that Pulis had jumped from the shower naked and and uh, aimed a headbutt at, at James Beattie. <laughs> I mean, nobody ever denied it. <laughs> so. I mean, but I think that's the kind of what Zatan wants. He wants. He, he wants. He likes managers who fight back. If he says something abusive, offensive, he wants. He wants to hear that back from them, and then afterwards they can kind of feel as though they respect each other. Whereas when when he did this with Pep Guardiola, he kicked over this metal tray. What did Guardiola do? Picked it up, put it back, left. Picked it up, put it back, left the room. Didn't say a word. Mm. Well, what's what's to respect there? What, where where will all that rage go? You know, Zlatan he he didn't have a chance to to act out that rage, come to terms with that rage, and move on as man. Yeah, I mean, he you know he, it's not just I know that his autobiography, which is a great uh, autobiography, there are a lot of people who who have an issue with it because uh, the ghostwriter. Uh, did say at some point that he he took a little bit of license. He said, "I don't know if there are any direct quotes from Zatan in that book." What he was going for was the was a sort of a truth that's a own, feeling that you yeah. can yeah to to express the truth of what really happened as opposed to the you know the, I suppose the big T truth as opposed to the small T mm. truth. You know, in terms of a a series of accurate um, facts and statements about things that really happened, like that's the Michael Collins movie. You know. Well, I think I think maybe even I think maybe he was going for something a little bit more accurate than the Michael Collins movie. Well, no, it's 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 in the books. Eamon De Valera shot Michael Collins. <laughs> that something. isn't what happened. Jonathan Reese Myers. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, De Valera was there behind him, whispering him, egging him on. Yeah. Um, anyway, we digress. But you know, so I mean, I personally don't really have an issue with that. In terms of, I think that. He did actually get across a good gist of what Zatan is like, what he's about. It kind of rings true to me, a lot of this stuff. But there are people who would say, well, that's, I mean, this is, you know, truthiness, truthiness. This is not real. It's, 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 if, it's, if it's not exactly what happened, then it's a lie. You know what I mean? It's like it's, it's, uh, it's inaccurate, it's false, it's a, it's a lie, none of this really happened. I'm not sure. Um, but I think it is it is clear. It's not just in what I'm saying is it's not just in the book that he says he's you know, bad things about Pep Guardiola. He has repeated them himself, you know, in various interviews since he's not a man. You know, it's you know you don't get people saying that about each other, no. colleagues in a sport saying that sort of stuff about each other that often. Um, but you know, he's not the only one. 
I mean, I should say that most of those, as I said, were kind of reheated quotes, but it is a lot of the a lot of the focus, you know, and his, his little video puts himself back at, at the center of the picture where he likes to be. Peter Schmeichel is quoted this week as, you know, just sort of trashing Guardiola's uh, time at Bayern Munich a bit. He was okay at Bayern Munich. I have to say he was okay. For me personally, he changed a really good entertaining team to become more boring to watch. Whereas Bayern before were very direct. They won the treble, had quick players and were exciting to watch. He made them play more square. He changed the players. You can't argue with his results. It's not really true. I mean, you can argue a little. You can argue with the results, but you can also argue with Peter Schmeichel's characterization of what he did with Bayern Munich, which isn't really that accurate. I mean, I don't know how much of it Peter Schmeichel watched. I, well, the Champions League games can, like much. the rest of us. <laughs> I don't think he watched that much of it. Um, you know, I think that Guardiola actually had, what does he say, quick players and were exciting to watch. I think he actually had quite a lot of that when he was the... Manager. They had really quick players. They used the wings, loads. They crossed the ball. They had loads of shots. You know, it wasn't like they were just playing the ball around in midfield. It wasn't really like that. But you know, that's Peter Schmeichel's uh, opinion. I mean, if he if he had won the Bundesliga by you know six or seven less points than he did in all of the years that he was managing Bayern Munich, he might get a bit more credit for it. Mm. Um, but the crushing nature of all of the Bundesliga wins, rather than burnishing his reputation, actually just completely you know, took away any of the credit that you might get for winning a league that Bayern weren't winning at their leisure until he took over. Yeah, you get no credit for it. I mean, they were winning it at their leisure in the immediate period before he... I mean, the year before. The year before. The year before. I mean, the previous year, they had come second in everything, you know, and they'd been... They, they The thing is that they're just always expected to be... It's always... The title, title race in Germany is always expected to be Bayern against some other club. Whichever club has managed to get it together that, that season to provide the semblance of competition. Although, you know, it, it hasn't been... They, they haven't been as dominant. Uh, this is the most dominant period, I guess, in their history, certainly since the mid-'70s, when even, you know, they won three European Cups in a row, but they weren't as dominant in the league. There was Munchen Gladbach at the time, which was... who were a serious rival. But, you know, there was... there's So Schmeichel's kind of dissing him a bit. There's this Zlatan stuff. Obviously, he's coming up against Mourinho and... God knows what's going to happen. Um, there was Yaya Toure's agent as well, Dimitri Seluk, who says, um, you know, about the fact that Guardiola has sidelined Yaya Toure and says, look, you know, he, he says quite witheringly, when Yaya becomes more intense in his in his actions off the ball, then he will be back in the team. So that ain't going to happen. He's played his last game. But, um, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a justification for the decision, which also explains it. It's like, didn't do anything off the ball, and we can't carry a player like that. Even though he, you know, whatever about his whatever about his ability on the ball, we can't afford to carry a player who doesn't work uh, when we don't have it. Um, so, Tourist agent says it's a decision of Pep and must be respected. If Manchester City win the Champions League, I will travel to London and say before the television cameras that Pep Guardiola is the best coach in the world. But if City don't win it. And I hope that Pep has the balls to say he was wrong to humiliate a great player like Yaya Toure. So that's the bar. Um, win the Champions League or face ridicule. Well, from Yaya Toure's agent, which I suppose Pep can can take, can uh, accept. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it sounds like a reasonable uh, a reasonable way to determine whether or not Guardiola was right or wrong to get rid of Yaya Toure. But you know, these are just. There's a lot of, this sort of, you can see the insulting vibe. Not a man, uh, boring possession, sideways football, and, you know, making a lot of mistakes. 
according to the agent of a player he's alienated. And you just wonder, I mean, particularly with Zlatan, uh, obviously he was he was hurt by this. He was hurt and sore after being rejected by Pep Guardiola, um, a man who'd paid all this money for him. Or, you know, the club had paid all this money for him and then he was rejected. It hurt him and in, in order to deal with it, he finds that, you know, he blames Guardiola. I just wonder if maybe if his attitude could have been a bit different, if the results might have been different. I mean, this week there's also, this is the one kind of ray of light in terms of all this negative stuff about uh, Pep, is the Andres Iniesta stuff. Andres Iniesta has a book out, which I think is actually out today, called The Artist, which looks like it's... Uh, Going to be interesting enough. I mean, Iniesta is one of the great players of the age. Uh, seems like an intelligent guy. Uh, has talked, you know, in some of the extracts which are already published about the um, kind of depressive or uh, anxiety type of uh, problem that he had between winning the Champions League in 2009 and the World Cup in 2010. That season he had a few um, issues with his mental health. Uh, and he's talked about that, but he's also talked a bit about Guardiola, and actually Guardiola talking about him. It's obviously a mutual appreciation society. But remember, Zatan had all this stuff about how Barcelona is like a school. You know, they're all like little schoolboys. They go in there, and everyone's so well behaved, and uh, it's like an institution. You know, they just, just go in, and like Pep is like the teacher, and they're all like Stepford wives. Every one of them has got like an apple, sort of polished. <laughs> and and he was just like, this is just I've total contempt for this. Like these, these none of these guys are men, you know. Look at all these little mini Ken dolls presenting apples to their teacher God, you know. Get me out of here. This isn't a place. This is no place for a uh, the raging untamed animal spirit that lives within me. But you know, I just wonder. I mean, the, the thing that you can't ignore about that Barcelona team is how good it was. These were the best team. They were the best team in the world. They were kind of taking the game to a level people hadn't seen. There was, rather than look at what they were doing and think, schoolboys, maybe something might have been learned from the way that they did things. And there's a story, I mean, we've mentioned it before. There was a sort of a, a slightly less fleshed out version of it in the Guillaume Balaguet book about Guardiola a couple of years ago. Um, but it's a story from Guardiola's, the beginning of his time at Barcelona, where he's just played his first two matches, hasn't he lost the first, drew the second, so no wins on the board, bad, bad start. Everyone's saying, why have we given the job to this clown? He has got no experience. He is just the guy who managed the U team. Um, everybody is saying this in the media, apart from, uh, remember they turned down Mourinho at the time. Yeah. So they said, no, not Mourinho, we'll go with this guy. Um, everyone apart from Johan Cruyff was saying... Uh, no, this isn't going to work. You know, panic, already in panic mode, Cruyff is saying, no, no, this is great, actually. I've seen some great things. Just just, mm. just stick with this guy. But what's happening inside the club, Guardiola is obviously having a kind of, he's he's always teetering on the edge of a nervous breakdown anyway, it kind of seems to me. Um, but he's there in his, in, his, uh, in his office, you know, deep down in the building, no natural light, uh, quietly going crazy. Uh, when suddenly, there's a knock at the door. And, a, and he turns around, and a little pale face uh, is sort of peeking, peeping around the door um, and says, hello, mister. I mean, hello, mister is like, hello, coach. Yeah. Come in, and we'll get you some vitamin C. Hello, mister. Um, the, the voice spoke kindly. Don't worry, mister. We'll win it all. We're on the right path. Carry on like this, okay? We're playing brilliantly. We're enjoying training. Please, don't change anything, said Andres Iniesta. The request was short, but heartfelt, deep. 
it caught Guardiola off guard, barely able even to respond. It was a surprise that Richard Seekham had to say that. It was even more of a surprise that it was Iniesta, usually the silent man. It came as a shock, even more so, when Iniesta closed by saying, Vamos to puta madre! To puta madre, roughly translated as it as, we're in fucking great shape. Or, we're playing bloody brilliantly. <laughs> in, in Spanish, it's okay to swear. People swear all the time. It's not like... Uh, like in Ireland. You, you saw the Ireland hurling final, Ken. Yeah, but in, the, the Ireland... Well, I mean, that, that was a... It was a Spanish-style intervention from, from Bubbles O'Dwyer. But, you know, there is this kind of a sense that, oh, swearing, oh, no. It's not quite polite. I mean, it's okay, you know, in informal company. But, you know, mm. in Spain, apparently, they just say, well, it's, it's constant swearing. I was, I was reading something about this recently. You know, a lot of in South American countries where they speak Spanish, they don't have the same attitude. So people in, I forget which particular countries are a bit more uptight about this. But, like, here, Spanish people, like... <laughs> They're just, they're like, I can't believe the potty man's on these Spanish people. But anyway, Iniesta, he's like, yeah. It's Argentina. I heard that before that Argentinians speak much more. Uh, Pretentiously. Yeah, in a much more genteel refined. kind of uh, accent than the than Spanish people do. Well, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I wish I knew more. Before I'd started talking about this, uh, I wish I knew more. So I didn't, the limits of my knowledge weren't so painfully apparent as they now are. But, you know, Andres Iniesta does this. This is like. I mean, what a what a what a thing for a player to do for a manager. What an attitude that this guy has! Like a kind of a passionate, a brilliant player who is also very passionate and very conscientious, and sees his soul in pain. Guardiola, you know, clutching, scratching at his balding head, as as uh, Zlatan was later to suggest to his ghostwriter uh, uh, happened, and. And say, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to go and help this guy out. I mean, so according to Guardiola, you know, it made a huge difference. And Guardiola says people usually think it's the coach who has to raise the spirits of his players, um, but that's not always the case. It wasn't the case at Camp Now. In my first year at Bayern Munich, something similar happened as well. Um, it's not often things like that happen. When they do, they rarely come to light. People always think the coach is the strongest person at a club, the boss, but in truth, he's the weakest link. We're vulnerable, undermined by those who don't play, by the media, by the fans. They all have the same objective to undermine the manager. So basically he says, this guy comes and says, this, it's, it was like... And he also says, um, after he'd gone, I asked myself, how can people say coaches should be cold when they make decisions? Impersonal? That's ridiculous. How can I be cold, distant with Andres? Sorry, no way. 86% of people don't believe me. Lots of people wanted Mourinho. We hadn't won. And then Andres comes and says that. How am I supposed to be cold? This, uh, saw that. This goes deeper. Uh, this isn't called calculated. There is no doubt Andres will play with me always because he's the best and because things like that don't get forgotten. Um, just thought, you know, rather than... Uh, did, it, is that what Wayne Rooney did to Big Sam last week? <laughs> something. Rocked maybe. up to it, St. George's Park, and just said, stay the course, Big Sam. We're doing fucking brilliantly. <laughs> but it's like, this is like... You haven't uh, played anyone yet. Uh, yeah, but, but we believe just don't change believe. never change never change big Sam but that's the difference in attitude yeah, hand me over that notepad and I'll tell you who's playing Zlatan's kind of resentful rage as against Iniesta's kind of conscientious you know I see that you're I'm going to reach out a hand to support you you know don't worry you're, he and ain't you know, heavy he's this, my if, brother if this means that uh, I never get dropped from the team then hey you know that's just an offshoot <laughs> well you know I mean that's, I never even thought of that it's maybe and maybe another approach Zlatan you know although he wasn't there at the time so maybe that's a, by the time Zlatan arrived Pep was the all conquering philosopher king winner of the treble 
you know, he, his status was a little bit different. He didn't need Zlatan, the recent arrival, coming and telling him, hey, don't worry, don't quit, Pep, I believe in you. <laughs> it wouldn't have worked. But just the, the I mean, it's, we've talked a lot about Guardiola uh, and that side. Uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing from Jose Mourinho at some point over the next day or two. But for the, for the time being, there's a very funny interview. Well, not, I mean, it's not funny. It's not just funny. It's interesting. But it's, uh, there are some, I think, good bits in it. Henry Winter speaks to Nicky Butt at uh, Manchester United. And Nicky Butt, this is, you know, there's a whole new Class of 92 series of stuff coming out. Yeah. There's a book out. Yeah. Um, so he was talking to, he's talking to Henry Winter anyway. Obviously, he's, he's working at the Manchester United Academy now. Nicky Butt, that is. So they start off talking about Rashford, and there's a bit of kind of hype about Rashford and how good he is. And, you know, they don't really get to, why is it nobody at the academy seemed to spot just how amazing this guy was before? You know, <laughs> that doesn't really get covered. Although he does say that he thinks Rashford's best best position is actually kind of the Anthony Marshall type. Mm. You know, as in, he, he's not really, he hasn't always been a striker. He's more of a off the side player, according to Nicky. But he, he says it's massive for us to have Pogba, the record transfer, to come through our academy. I thought, really? Is that, is that a point of pride that, that this player was at Manchester United's academy, was let go by Manchester United, and then was made the most expensive player in the world? Yeah, I mean, I know the academy isn't just supposed to be like a vast money-saving exercise where you produce brilliant players so you don't have to pay €110 million <laughs> Euros for that player. I mean, you know, I suppose United have done both there. They've yeah. produced the player and then sold the player and bought it back at a ridiculous price maybe you just you, you just all them as, there. Yeah. he's just a star alumnus mm. Pogba you know it doesn't really matter what happened in between him leaving the academy and you know becoming a big player at Manchester United what scouting information do we have on this Paul Pogba <laughs> well we've the first seven years of his career and then he left and now we have loads of money so but, let's pull all that together what I particularly I think this interview really gets going when Nicky Butt starts talking about the way things are today compared to the way things were back in the day. I see players in our academy and they can't move. Our lads don't know how to fall. They don't know how to roll. You should see the amount of injuries you get from pop shoulders or their arms. I probably fell out of a tree 15 times and never hurt myself. I don't think my son's ever climbed a tree. Kids these days don't climb trees. Body mechanics lose so much when you're not climbing trees, not playing basketball, cricket, rugby. I played rugby, cricket, football, basketball. This might sound bizarre, but we've had a guy come in from the circus telling kids how to do spinning plates, jumping through hoops, circus tricks to get their biomechanics working. We had parkour lads in who jump over buildings. Um, talks about the... You look at gigs, top players, they just flow with their movement, doing it with ease. Look at the athleticism. Look at the United squad. They're giants. Pogba, Carrick, Zlatan, Schneiderlin, Smalling, Bailly. Athletes, giants, that is an interesting word. A friend of mine was saying the other day, Jose Mourinho <laughs> collects tall people like Frederick Wilhelm of Prussia. <laughs> Frederick, Frederick Wilhelm I had famously, uh, he was only a small, he was 1.6 meters small, mm. even for his time. That's what, 5'4", five, 5'4", four, five, four kind of height. Um, he uh, he had a special brigade in the in, in the army, which was made up of tall tall men. He kind of has he had a thing for them. They had to be at least six foot two. Uh, the tallest was apparently seven foot two. An Irishman, James Kirkland. Um, 
Uh, many of the men were unfit for combat due to their gigantism. <laughs> but the, hey, easy up on the gigantism chat there, Ken. But he, uh, the the king, uh, drained and trilled his uh, uh, trained, drained and drained and trilled, trying to drill his own regiment every day. Uh, he liked to paint their portraits for memory. He tried to show them to foreign visitors and dignitaries to impress them. At times, he would try to cheer himself up by ordering them to march before him, even if he was in his sick bed. This procession, which included the entire regiment, was led by their mascot, a bear. He once confided to the French ambassador that the most beautiful girl or woman in the world would be a matter of indifference to me. But tall soldiers, they are my weakness. So uh, there is a certain similarity between Jose Mourinho and Frederick Wilhelm, Frederick Wilhelm of Prussia. Uh, he does like a big, a big, a big a, man. A good biggin, Ken. Good biggin beats a good little one. Um, but talked about, well, you know, the team's got to win. It's dangerous to introduce young players to a losing team. They get eaten up. So Josie needs to get the team winning. Then we'll see the best of Rashford. But he goes on in that team of kids don't climb trees. Um, I'm a softy parent. I don't let my kids go anywhere. My daughter's 12. I don't think she'd be able to cross a road. The whole life now is middle class. iPads, PlayStations, social media is a massive problem. I mean, it is obvious, I suppose, if, if Nicky Butt had been allowed to continue on this train of thought, how obvious it is that we are going to be replaced by those machines pretty soon. Like, they're, at the moment, social media requires human users to work, mm. but, you know, realistically, how long is that going to be the case? You know what I mean? We're looking, sport, we're looking for leaders on the pitch, so when you're down, they fight back. Somebody like Paul Scholes, who was playing football in the streets at 12 and knocking around the park at 15, they get a lot of street knowledge through that. Um, he says, <laughs> so revisiting his own time, uh, you know, coming up through this system. If you take the foot off the pedal for a split second, you see Brian Robson charging all over, giving everyone a rocking. You get rockings from Brian Robson, Clayton Blackmore, Dion Dublin, Brian McClare, Mickey Phelan. Um, if it weren't for them, we wouldn't be on the cover of a book. We'd probably get carried away with ourselves, stagnate, quicksand, sinking. People like them give you rollickings on the pitch. Then you give it another go at halftime. Then the coach, Jim Ryan, would give you a rollicking. The next minute, the door gets smashed open, and Alex Ferguson is giving you a rollicking. <laughs> it sounds like an absolute nightmare. It sounds like just misery. <laughs> um, yeah. But it never did Nicky Budd any harm. A lot of the stick there, not a lot of the carrot. Because what, what's the story now? I mean, it sounds, it sounds terrifying, you know, to be in there, be getting a rocking from this series of angry men screaming in your face, you know. Progressively, Each one slightly older than the last. Progressively more and more crazy until eventually it's Ferguson, like this yeah. 17th century Puritan, like this mad, a madman. I was watching recently uh, the Manchester Derby. You know the one where Roy Keane scored the winning goal at 3-2? Yeah, Canada got the first two. Niall Quinn scored two goals. Yeah. Uh, and then Cantona, it was, it was two all, and Keane scored a great goal at the end. Yeah. And the interview with Ferguson, just at the end of it, he just looks so, he looks quite different from the kind of Ferguson we kind of got used to over the you know, 20 years, mm -hmm. almost 20 years of his career after that. But he's kind of railed in, he's got these kind of in unbelievable intensity. He really looks as though he like the leader of a, a religious community in the New England backwoods. You know, he's had to go out. He's had to go out there to totally, you know, where, where no European has ever been before, in order to get away from modernity, uh, back in back in either uh, Puritan England or 
Puritan New England <laughs> to get away from the decadence and depravity of these places. He's had to go out and forge his own community in the wilderness. That is what Alex Ferguson looked like in, as, as recently as 95. That's the man who was rollicking Nicky Bud out of it. But now what do you have? The nanny state. The nanny state. There are rules put in by the FA and Premier League I just shake my head at, says Nicky Bud. Every kid under 16 has to play 50% of the games. So if you've got a rush for the academy, scoring three goals every game, but we come up against Liverpool, our arch rivals, it's one all 50 minutes left, you've got a kid in the bench who's never going to play for the first team. The rules are we have to give him 50% of the season's games. 45 minutes here, 20 minutes there. Or we're liable to being sued by his parents. Everyone's looking for excuses in life. 90% of the parents are good parents, but there's 10% repeatedly on the phone to me, repeatedly questioning the coaching, asking why their son's not in this team. It angers me. Um, uh, the under-23s league is crap. If you're not in the first team by 20, you're not going to make the first team. So why have a 23? You're just stagnating people. I've never heard the word stagnating used in that sense as a verb that you that you do to somebody, to stagnate somebody. Yeah. I always thought it was the, it would be the person who stagnates. You stagnate. Yeah, you, you can only stagnate yourself. Um, but it turns out Nicky Butt's a prime stagnator. The system can can stagnate you. Goes on to talk about uh, Manchester United. Interesting interview. Uh, there's loads more of it, a lot of quotes. Uh, but um, Yeah, it is, it is kind of weird, though, that like uh, all of the, the, as you've said before, that the academy system that everyone bleats on about saying how brilliant it is, was basically hazing mm. of young teenage boys. Yeah. And that's what everyone is now clamouring for a return to before well, the people who, English football expl- imp- like implodes on itself. The people who went through that, um, I mean, I suppose if you, did, if you did go through that sort of thing, it, it might have been terrifying at the time. It might've, you might have felt bad. It might, you might have been hurt. But then you had to toughen up, i.e., you know, cauterise all those, mm. the, you know, you're left with all this scar tissue. And also, you're kind of thinking, was I abused? No. Yeah, it's kind of like no, that never did me any harm. You know, you kind of yeah. The idea that you it's an adaptation in spite of the all of the hazing, as opposed to because of the hazing. This thought has never occurred to them because then it would be oh right, I just got bullied for five years by older men, and I just sat there and <laughs> took it rather than saying anything about it. Yeah, I mean I, that, that is quite a hard thing to try and admit to yourself, I suppose. Yeah, I mean Ferguson had stopped doing that kind of stuff by the end. You know, I mean, did it. To, you know, did he did it work anymore? Did he think maybe actually we didn't really need to behave that way? I mean, the thing about it is that like older people always kind of are looking back with fondness at their youth, and even the bad things that happened are things that maybe at the time they felt were bad. They're like, no, that was fine, didn't do me any harm. <laughs> Again, it's just much easier for my mental health if I, I just accept that it was fine. And I not can't horrible. talk about my feelings. I can't. <laughs> I I can't talk about my feelings at all. But I don't think it did me any harm. And and also looking at the way things are now and assuming that everything is going to be bad. It's not necessarily going to be bad. It's just going to be different. They're all just headphones. Mm. They, are, they are. But maybe, you know, maybe it's still going to be okay. Yeah. Despite that, it's still going to be okay. See if you don't get out with mother will. You're away, mate. Your bags and your desk, boom. Your bags and your desk, boom. I mean, I'm fucking raging. Speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got my teddy boots here, Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beep, I take no beep, I take no, I take no, I take no beep. Just so soft, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. 
You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. What's it in fans? Just need to fucking work, wouldn't it? You are nothing. You are a fool. And you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get out. Get out. He's your biggest fool. Richie Sadler's joined us in the studio. Richie, how are you? Ken, how are you doing? Uh, very good. Uh, looking Not rare. just Richie, Ken, we should mention. Richie, you've brought your dog in here today, Bobby. Uh, is she going to be barking a massive amount during this uh, chat or maybe just a little? From the looks of her already, we have bored her into sleep. Oh, already. good. Good, good. That's early. Bodes well. <laughs> Not unprecedented by, unprecedented by any matter of means, but early. Um, you've got the new dog. How's the relationship between you? You could probably call her the love of my life at this stage. I don't <laughs> think it's it's too premature to... And is the love reciprocated? That. Well, it, it, I, I think it is. Primarily because I don't really go anywhere around the house without a little bag of chopped up slices of ham. It's a big bag of ham. It's, it's a, a huge bag. bag of ham that you carry around in your pocket. <laughs> that dog would pretty much stand on her head if you ask her to, if she knows there's a little bit of chopped ham waiting for her as a, re- as a reward. So it's gone pretty sweet. I have her six weeks and I'm at that annoying stage of, I suppose, of any relationship where you're just trying to force her into the conversation. If anyone asks me a non Bobby related question I somehow get Bobby in I sent you a text last week and you sent me back three photographs Uh, obviously nothing to do with your dog and you sent me back three photographs of your dog and we did as a reply and then we did carry on have a load of exchanges about the dog and then about ten minutes later we came back to whatever it was your original (laughs) point was that's pretty much in in, that's what my life is like at the moment well um, I don't want to try and tear you away from the dog chat I'll bring it back to her but in a matter of time. Don't uh, worry. We have a kind of a, a bag of ham in the form of the Ireland aftermath, <laughs> the aftermath of the Ireland uh, Serbia match, uh, which obviously was Monday night. Um, one of the we, you know, and this this has had a bit of um, this a bit of stuff has been rumbling on in the days after. So one of the things that I will always remember about this match, though, is Martin O'Neill talking to Tony uh, O'Donoghue after the match, and it was almost like he was trying to glamour him in some kind of Scientology way like he was staring Martin O'Neill often doesn't make much eye contact when he's when he's speaking to the press you know he's often he often kind of looks down at the ground or kind of you know maybe looks at your hairline or employs various means to show how much more important than you he is on this occasion he was looking straight into Tony O'Donoghue's eyes and he was repeating over and over again this is a great result this is a great you know it was like this this was brilliant you know stop your uh, cribbing this was actually really good was it? I think the, the, the couple of ways I approach that on the morning of the game when you when you know nothing about performance or team selection or the flow of a game you, you think on the overall look at that group if you got a point away from home against a team like Serbia you'd be happy and after the match I know some people's conclusion was well listen it's a draw away against Serbia it's, it's a good point and someone would always say something like you know It'll be a difficult place to go. A lot of teams will get beaten there. But ignoring that for one moment. Like, if you're only ever going to talk about a result, there's no point in us ever watching matches. You just wait till the final whistle, count the goals, and make all your opinions based on that. But looking at the performance of that Irish team on Monday, so much of that game was really, really difficult to watch. We we were... I, I, I don't know what the... Somebody can probably tell me what the, the, the pass completion rate 98 was. passes in the game. Okay, right. Four, well, I think it was 46 in the first half and whatever 98 minus 46 is in the second half. Okay, so on average, once a minute, yeah. an Irish player is finding a teammate with the football. Right, that's... 
I, I was actually about to say sometimes statistics don't tell you the full picture. When you watch it, it actually really gives you an idea of how bad we were, but that statistic is quite helpful. Um, it was just, it, it was alarming how bad Ireland were at keeping the ball. It was, it, it was almost like, and I was sitting there watching the match going, what were the training drills in the week in the build-up to this? Forget the fact that the O'Man match was on. But like, how, how did, how did O'Neill prepare the team? When you try and replicate match situations in the previous days, I don't know if any of that happened. Because we seem to get the ball and just launch it in the general direction of Shane Long, not because you're trying to start a, an attacking move or you're telling midfielders to, to, to get up to him as quick as possible. It was basically, we're going to give it back to Serbia. And we're not going to chase the ball because we know they're going to come at us and we're just going to stay back in groups of eight and nine and and, and really look as if we haven't got any notion of what we're doing when the ball is at our feet. Mm. Which... Go back to my original thing. A point against Serbia, fine. That looks really good. And a lot of our rivals, if you want to call them that, in the group are going to go there and get beaten. But there was a huge, huge concerns about the way in which we played. And sometimes, like you said, Martin O'Neill, O'Neill's comments, sometimes you can just forget what manager says publicly because he's always going to um, praise the players or look in the positives. But if he genuinely thought like the performance was... Acceptable. Or well, the result. He was talking about the results. Yeah. In fairness, he didn't say it was a, that was a brilliant performance. Yeah. You see, they did the two things. You, if you look at the result, you've kind of got to be pleased with the result. The performance, desperately not happy. But with that. the conditions are surely a major problem. I mean, it's very difficult. It's it's difficult enough to keep the ball and in a way match against a you know decent side. But then when you introduce the fact that the pitch is just this kind of muddy chaos. It's, doesn't that make it that much more difficult? I think that is a factor, but I don't think it explains just how bad we were for so long. Um, and like even even when when we conceded the second goal, there, there was a there was a jump in our level of performance. So again, on the same pitch with the same conditions, probably in the latter stages of the game, it was more cut up than the than the first than the first half. So I don't think you can blame totally the conditions. Um, we're just a team that doesn't keep the football with any level of comfort at but all. Is that because we don't want to? We, we can't. Well, it can't be an instruction from the coach. I can't believe at all that a manager would say, lads, when we get it, just give it away. Yeah. Like, but it, it, it looked like it was a performance completely without any kind of direction. Uh, the, uh, there, is one, there is another way of looking at this, of course. I, I was talking to my brother, actually, and he was saying, right, okay, we, uh, the RT commentary spent all day saying, we just can't hold on to the ball, we can't hold on to the ball. What, for a second, what, what, try and imagine what the Serbian commentators were saying, that uh, Ireland could just effortlessly switch it on after we go a goal down, start playing brilliant football, and that basically we can turn it off on and off like a tap. You know, that, that uh, there's this brilliant uh, show of resilience by the Irish team that, you know, went stuck in a corner they can just turn it on and play the best 20 minutes football of the game in the last 20 minutes when they needed it the most. I mean, I thought it was terrible, but is there anything in that? No, I'd say the Serbians are just saying exactly the same as what we were saying. Why Why aren't we 4-1 up on these we can't. No, we can't handle being in the lead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, okay, uh, sorry about Serbia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, once you know, we get in the lead and then, look, we fall back. They wouldn't have seen it as Ireland raising their level so much as Serbia. Handing the initiative to Doing us. what we did after we scored. Like the last that that response to going a goal then was very positive. Like that that's that's an obvious. But it's so frustrating. That's the, that's the thing. You know that like, if if you can do it when you're two one down, surely you should be able to do it when you're one nil up. I actually was working, and probably won't name the team, but there was a team a while ago who 
they brought in a sports psychologist because they tended to notice that every time they went a goal behind, their performance level jumped. So when they went a goal behind, everyone just seemed to look around and they found an extra couple of gears and, and there was a noticeable rise in everything. Their, their, their aggression, enthusiasm, their pace, their energy levels, everything. And they brought in the sports psychologist and, and the, the, he, he just did a few sessions with them and said, lads, you have it in you. I don't know what you do, but as a group, you, you have a switch. Now, at the moment, the switch is controlled by the concession of a goal. That's the trigger. So why not let's work for create our own trigger so that we don't have to wait till we're a goal down and then we can do it. So they started working on all these other little phrases or words or signals or whatever. I don't know what they specifically did, but the premise being that as a group, weave it in us to jump to two gears so that's what it looked like the other night and it is as you said like really frustrating that it takes to go behind to do that yeah. um, but I mean there is a way there's an effective way to play when you're leading which Ireland have never been able to do but I mean the classic example of it in recent times probably the Chelsea against Liverpool remember the, the game where uh, Liverpool were going for the league title Chelsea didn't really have <laughs> anything at stake other than wanting to prevent them from doing that. And it was just a brilliant display of how to turn an opponent's desperation against them so that they melt down under the pressure. You know, rather than you being the ones who are under pressure because you're trying to defend a lead, the fact that you're winning should put the other team under more pressure. They're the ones who are going to be desperate. They're the ones who are who are going to get frantic as time goes on. So use that against them. I mean, it's uh, Jose Mourinho teams are brilliant at this. I mean, this is his main his main trick in his football career has been to show teams how to do that. But I always wonder why it's but something. He, but isn't isn't that what they, what he himself calls resting in possession or something like that? Yeah. Uh, but that's it, possession. You know, and we and we never held well, on the ball for long necess- enough to. It's to- not necessarily and like resting with the ball is his phrase. You know, basically how to do nothing in the game, how to. Yeah. When you when you've got the ball, how to how to do absolutely nothing and force the other team to make the next move? When you're just passing the ball around uh, at the back, and then they've got to come out, and you know, then you pass it around at the back. You know, it's but it's it's kind of an attitude more than anything else. It's like uh, it's a kind of uh, projecting this air of well, we're we're in the position we want to be in now. You know, what are you what are you going to do about it? You know, and and sort of everything about the approach in that situation is geared to slowing down the game, breaking up the game making the opponent think that the world is caving in on them. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, giving the ball back the way that we do is the, is the worst possible approach in that situation. You know, the, every, every few seconds, if they lose the ball, they've immediately got it back. So it's like, well, you know, we, we, go, we go again. Yeah. We yeah. go again. But if they have to work, if, if it takes a while, if they're conscious of the time beginning to slip away, then... Uh, then it starts, you know, the, the impetus that they have to chase the game is kind of becomes like a, um, a kind of a, they kind of slip into a nightmare mode. You know what I mean? I've never seen Ireland do that to a team successfully. Yeah, there was a total lack of it the other night. It was like a, almost like a psychological blow when, when we went one up. Like you said, some teams think, right, let's, let's exert our, our, our authority on this performance. We've gone one up. Let's look as if we're going to go 2 0 up and, and lord it over the opponents. Whether that's keeping the ball, slowing it down. Usually, what what's involved is a lot of is a lot of players marching around with the ball under their arm and holding their other other hand out like this with their palm up like that. You know that gesture? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the universal gesture of I'm slowing the game down here. 
uh, or you know, managers kind of Mourinho on the sideline with the ball, refusing yeah. to give it back. I mean, this. Yeah, I mean, and and there have been so many examples of you're literally thinking, is there enough time for the team that we've just scored against to equalise against us? And if it's like the ninety first minute, you're still thinking we've given them too much time to equalise. That is was the Italy game in Crow Park where we score with a minute left, and you're like, well. Oh, there's injury time here. That's more than enough time for Italy get the, to get an equaliser and, of course, they go down the field and, and do exactly that. Yeah. So I mean, if you score in the second minute, then... So instead of taking it as a confidence booster, yeah. it's almost like a fear factor kicks in straight away. It says, Christ, we've got something now that we can... Backs to the wall. For that we, we can lose. Yeah. So we're, we're, if, if this goes wrong, we'll, you know, we've thrown this away rather than right, we're one step closer to getting what we want. It's, I know it's, 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 it's kind of... Just the way you word it, but how you how you perceive it and how you think about it in the moment, which is the the key thing, um, produces a performance like that to the night. Yeah, there was a as I mentioned, there was a lot of stuff happening, uh, kind of for the aftermath of this game. Uh, it made it to Liveline yesterday afternoon, uh, having been reported in the Irish Times and other newspapers uh, that Ireland fans going to the game found themselves intercepted at the stadium by. Uh, FAI representatives who instructed Serbian security to search them for flares uh, and offending propagandistic materials <laughs> at the stadium in Serbia, a different country, another country from the one that we were playing in. Um, the banners, you know, uh, Delaney, uh, hashtag Delaney out was as far as I can see the most offensive message written on. I mean, have you you've seen the banner? It's John Delaney uh, looking down at the... Um, a selection of Irish players who were from the, you know, who played in the League of Ireland mm-hmm. and are now in our international squad, uh, smiling down beatifically, and the words "problem child," which John Delaney never actually said. He said "difficult child," which I guess meant the same thing. It's a different way of putting it. But uh, uh, so, the, so his attitude to the to the League of Ireland, as expressed in that comment, supporters take an issue with. Why would FAI representatives, FAI security, Joe McLew, uh, the head of security of the FAI, why would they seek to or, or think they had the authority to stop uh, fans displaying a banner like that in a different country if they so chose? Well, they obviously believe they do have the authority if they've behaved in the way that the two fans who spoke on Liveline, if the accounts they gave are accurate. Yeah, I heard Zeno Kelly on, on Liveline talking. He was the one who had the, had the main account of this being stopped at the gate and made to wait for 15 minutes not sure if he was going to get in and so on yeah the account where the, the accounts went along the line that they, they were stopped by the Serbian stewards the match day stewards which is normal you might get patted down again that's normal if you have flares on you you know that, that's that's the kind of things they're looking for but supposedly that they, they the, the staff said to a couple of the fans listen your man over there has told me not to let you in, you have to stand there. And for a period of 10 or 15 minutes, they were waiting there, not knowing whether they'd be let in or not. Which is, I suppose, one thing, if you showed up to a game in the Aviva, you might have only driven 20 minutes from your house. But if you've flown to Serbia, and then you're, you've got this 10 or 15 minute waiting period where you're not sure where you're going to get in or not, and you're not given any explanation as to why that could be the case, and the person that's supposedly going to decide your fate is the FAI fellow you're talking about, Joe McGlue. It just seemed a little bit, Farcical, it, it just, just seems wrong. Um, particularly the people involved, they've no track record of any kind of trouble whatsoever. They've no use of flares in the past. So if the whole thing was, maybe Joe McGlue will come out and publicly talk about it. <laughs> and maybe he'll clear all this up for us. Yeah. But if the whole thing was designed 
then to, to position him in the turnstiles solely to prevent lads bringing in a flag and the only problem with the flag that it just would look bad I mean there was nothing offensive nothing like slanderous There's, there was nothing on the flag that 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 uh, couldn't be shown on TV for example or any of that kind of thing so I don't know it, it's it's the latest in a long long line of, of kind of incidents where you kind of think well, the, the relationship between the FAI and a certain section of the Irish fans has gone pretty sour at this stage yeah. Why the resources and time of the FAI staff in a foreign country like that are being used up on basically what looks from a distance like just a face-saving exercise. We don't want a, a mildly critical flag which pokes fun at our CEO to yeah. be on display. That just seems wrong. Well, I guess John McGlue was doing what he did either because he was instructed to do it or be, because he thought that was what he should do. That was, you know, any sort of member of an organisation, head of a department... It uh, doesn't always need to be told exactly what to do, uh, but they've got an idea of what their job is and what mm. they should be doing. You know, they use their initiative. So either he was told to do it or he thought this is what he would be told to do if that situation would arise. I don't know why they take that approach, though, because, I mean, we're talking about it now. There, there was a big discussion about it on Liveline yesterday. Everyone's been talking about it all week. If, if, they the, brought the, yeah, if the intention was to ensure that no one spoke about this Delaney out banner, yeah. then I think that they have failed rather miserably in that uh, in that intention. But it's so it's so counterproductive. Like I mean, how can you you know? But that seems to be their approach. That's their approach in the Aviva games. They they don't allow certain flags to be on display, and they keep a fairly close eye on a certain group of fans behind the the, the stand. Is it the south stand? Is that the, the one that's the singing section behind the goal? Not the Havelock Square end. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, but I mean, even being at the Oman game, the uh, it just seemed that there's so so many stewards at that end for a game against Oman. It just it's it, it immediately just strikes you as being extraordinarily heavy-handed, which is what this was on Monday night as well. Just uh, unbelievable, really, in a lot of ways. If uh, yeah, like you said, if the efforts of of, of Joe McGlue or others were to were like a PR exercise, they're trying to protect the reputation of the FAI by not having this flag on display. As you said, like I don't think their actions and the accounts given by the fans and discussions like this and the reporting of the whole incident, um, I don't think that protects the reputation of the FAI at all. I think it's it, it, it shouldn't be the case. You shouldn't be facing this kind of treatment from FAI staff abroad when at the most all you've done is brought in a flag which doesn't contain anything wildly offensive at all. I, just, I, just, I, I mean, it's kind of like this sort of stuff has been happening now for so long that you kind of almost get used to it. It's like, mm. yeah, well, of course of course, that would happen. <laughs> we have, everyone knows you can't bring a, a flag in expressing an opinion to an Ireland match. You know, people have, this, this has been sort of happening for a long time, people having flags confiscated. That after a while it begins to seem like normality. And it's not, it's totally Does it happen ridiculous. anywhere else? Can you think of any? I, 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 well, oh, oh, sorry. I, I thought you meant in the Irish context. I, I'm not. I'm not aware. I mean, I guess the Croatian FA have a lot of problems uh, with the relationship with their supporters, mm-hmm. as we saw in the in the Euros. Uh, you know, I, I mean, Serbia, our opponents have had have had their issues. Uh, I don't know exactly how much of it was between the FA, uh, the Serbian FA, and supporters, and how much of it was between Serbian supporters, and you know. Mm-hmm. The world, uh, the world at large. Uh, I'm not sure, though. Uh, you know, in terms of this kind of mild descent, I mean, because the banner is, I mean, the, the banner is expressing 
a, a perfectly legitimate opinion. John Delaney said this in a radio interview, and these supporters are saying, how can you say that when the league has produced all these players for the international squad? And that's just one of the things. You know what I mean? So how, so how can you say that? It's, it's a perfectly valid, legitimate point. So the idea that you can just stop someone from saying it, I don't... Where do they get the idea that they can they have the authority to, to do that? Not even their own stadium. Yeah. I'm gone blank, sorry. <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I don't... I, you can't uh, construct an argument to say that they're within their rights to do that because, as you say, I mean, there, there are modes of communication, you know, throughout the world that, that are agreed upon that you can say... X, Y, and Z, but you can't stray into the into an area where, you know, you're uh, you're being offensive. Yeah. And this is n- by no standard an offensive message. It's an opinion freely expressed. Based on a, based on you know an opinion that John Delaney expressed. And um, as well, one of the one of the fans speaking about it said that he knew he would be stopped, or he would he would be attention would be brought on him. And he deliberately didn't break the flag for this reason because he knew the FAI would kind of look our our our, our staff involved in this would look on social media and would realise that the flag existed and the flag was in the country and the flag might be brought. Yeah. Again, like, wh- wh- why Why is that how the FAI staff are either being instructed to spend their time or feel like that's the proper and correct use of their time and this is the treatment the fans deserve? Um, when you think of all of the problems uh, currently facing international football and heads of security of various... FAs around the world and what they spend their time at games doing in the preparation for games. If you're travelling to Serbia, the months of work that you have to do with local police forces and everything, trying to ensure that your fans don't create any, cause any trouble, there's no hooliganism. I mean, this is what we're doing? You know, it just strikes me as completely bizarre. The other thing that's been happening uh, that people are talking about this week, um, and after, so after another doubleheader has been and gone... And apparently Martin O'Neill still hasn't signed a contract. So the only reason that this is strange is that, uh, I mean, it was announced before they went to the Euros that they'd agreed the new contract. And then John Delaney said in July, oh, you know, that'll, pro- that'll be sorted out probably, you know, the AGM later this month or, you know, there'd be various opportunities to sort that out. You know, we we have no, I was at the Euros final and, you know, between... One thing and another, we just haven't had time to sit down and sign that contract. Still, apparently, hasn't been signed. And Martin O'Neill, whenever he's asked about it, um, he, he kind of just says, oh, you know, it's, it's fine, don't worry about that. You know, that'll, that'll get sorted. And he did, uh, he did uh, make the point that he is still getting paid. It's not as though he's totally out of contract and now working for free. It's, it's obviously just some kind of rolling element where he keeps, you know, getting... But... I just don't understand why, if everything's been agreed, they can't just sign the contract. I I can't explain it at all, and I'm surprised more focus isn't on this issue. We, we, we're going into this campaign with a manager who we haven't secured yet. We, he's not under contract. And for a situation like anyone, even the dullest of minds, with, with zero curiosity, if you have any understanding of world football or professional football, you would have to be puzzled at a scenario where three months after an agreement was reached, as we were told, between two parties. And the trickiest part of any negotiations, obviously, the, can you source the money, can you agree on what the terms are, maybe agree on some of the finer points on, on how the job is going to be done, the length of the deal. And for all that to be in place, 
Both parties supposedly happy. Everything done, negotiations complete. And then for both of them to sit back and go, do you know what? There's actually no real rush here. We're quite relaxed. The public comments from Martin O'Neill has been to that effect. Hmm. He laughs it off, so he's quite relaxed. He'll have a little quip about, you know, it'll be signed sometime. But they're absolutely, without question here, there's a sticking point. There's a problem. There's something going on privately which is preventing this agreement being reached. Verbally, may have been reached three months ago, but it hasn't yet been reached because it's not been put in writing. So why that is the case, you would have to be concerned that it's a pretty significant issue if it's still rumbling on three months ago. I don't buy for a second at all that either party is comfortable with the fact that there isn't a signed agreement here. Mm. Both of them are more vulnerable because of it. Martin O'Neill, a couple of bad results. John Delaney can say, Martin, there's the door, and he doesn't get a penny. If Martin gets a call next week from any Premier League club or anyone, he can just walk. John Delaney doesn't get a penny. Mm. And then he has a job of trying to replace him. So I think it's in both of their interests for it to be signed, yet it's not signed, so there's a problem. A pretty big problem. Now, what that is, we don't know. Because O'Neill has very effectively kind of kept this issue at bay by laughing it off. John Delaney is under a rock somewhere, so he, he's not. we're not going to get a comment from him. So, who knows? I mean, it is... It is... Uh you know, despite the fact they're both saying there's no there's no problem, the fact that it hasn't been signed is, as you're saying, the biggest indication that something in the in in the game of football, particularly given the nature of football, where everyone wants your job, your assistant wants your job, your coach wants your job, and every single person who's at the game, you know, the out of, out of work managers who are there supposedly scouting, they're there networking, looking for your job, or putting themselves in a position to be first in the queue when you get sacked. Yeah, and O'Neill. I remember when he was at Aston Villa. You know, he was doing well with Aston Villa. The team was good. Uh, the supporters all liked him. Everything was going well. And he left. You know, at the beginning of, of was it 2010, 2011 season, he left. Massive surprise for everybody. Not a massive surprise for, I mean, O'Neill presumably had, had seen this issue coming. Maybe it wasn't a huge surprise to the board at Aston Villa either. But, you know, he's shown essentially that he is prepared to walk away from jobs, even jobs that he likes, jobs where he's been successful, uh, where things appear to be going well, if he doesn't feel as though he's getting uh, what he's looking for from the people. You know, he's he's proven that he's that he is uh, the kind of guy who is prepared to, to walk away. Like in this scenario, I assume one of two things has happened. The FAI have put the contract in front of O'Neill. And O'Neill has decided, for whatever reason, that it's not yet the time to sign it. So he's stalling. Or, despite supposedly being a, having an agreement reached in before the Euros, the FAI still haven't, there's issues with the printer, whatever, haven't put the contract in front of them. So the delay is on one side here. The, the, the sticking point is on, on one side here. If they're both still yet to, to, to reach agreement, then the statement that they released before the Euros was misleading, um, which is a whole other conversation. So I, I don't know how this gets resolved because we don't know the nature of the delay. We don't know how big this problem is. It's pretty significant because O'Neill still hasn't signed it or the FA haven't put it in front of him. So barring it being signed in the next little while and them all coming out and, and, and saying, you know, this is, was the way it was always going to be done and nothing revealing or insightful will come out as to why the delay was. But the longer it goes on, you have to say, well, okay, this whatever this significant issue is, it's not gone away. So based on what you've just been saying, do you believe Martin O'Neill will lead uh, the team to Russia 
do I believe? Are you asking me, will he be the manager or will we I'm qualify? You, will Martin O'Neill be the manager of an Ireland team that qualifies for the World Cup? Well, listen, I wouldn't have any. After one game. I, I, I wouldn't have any issue at all if O'Neill in the morning decided to go, do you know what? The, uh, and this is based on a scenario where agreement was reached before the Euros and he's still waiting for the, you know, the, the postman to deliver the contract to say, listen, sign it. So you'd be sitting there and I say, I don't know how many times, if this is the scenario, if the delay is on the side of the FAI, so O'Neill will be sitting there going, okay, maybe he addresses the board or maybe John Delaney or someone else. So where's the deal? So he'll get a first, some kind of stalling statement. Where is it? I don't know how many times you can ask this question. And it comes a point where you go, I'm being mugged off here. I'm being, complete, I'm, I'm being treated like a complete clown here. These lots simply, they think a, a verbal agreement is enough for me. And I'm, I'm happy to work with zero security, no safety net. I've way too much experience in this game. I know the way football works. First offer from anyone, go. And I'd honestly, I'd have no beef with them at all. I go, do you know what? Fair enough. You, like this is, is rag arse rover stuff, if that's the reality. Yeah. But if the delay is from his end at some point, which again, we don't know why that would be the case, he needs to, he needs to resolve it. He needs to sort it. Okay, well, Richie, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us about all that today. Cheers, lads. The training pitch is all squares. And somebody's got a somebody's got a whole hand up and say, it's like training on a car park. No, 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 no regrets about it. No, as soon as you ask me a question, I'm going to give you an answer. Who, John Delaney? He could have phoned me. Of course, he could have. Try my hotel room. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh. I was the World Cup. As an ex-player and as an Irishman, and I mean an Irishman, uh, born and reared here, then I, I felt I was entitled to give my opinion. Swinging in the backyard, pull up in your fast car, whistling my name. Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Open up a beer and you say get over here and play a video game. Why did you turn it off? I say you put on silence. You just gonna let it ring. If that was my team, I'd go into the dressing room and I wouldn't even mention the handball. I'd just say, why didn't someone put their head in it? France would definitely take it and Ireland never grabbed it. Usual. Usual stuff. Afraid of that next step. Mentally not strong enough. But they can complain all they want and all these players, they can complain all they want. It's not going to change. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. Yeah, that was Richie and little Bobby. That's quite quite big, actually. Bobby's enormous. An enormous dog after 18 weeks. <laughs> um, had to carry uh, Richie, Richie having to carry it down the stairs because even the bag of ham couldn't persuade it uh, to actually walk down the steps. Mm. Um, well, it's a very well-trained dog, you see. Richie's trained Bobby not to go upstairs in his house. Oh, Therefore, really? the side of the stairs, Bobby knows no way. It is the law. It is the law. I cannot walk up these stairs. And I thought maybe even on the way down, she might have said, well, well down. I is mean, that's, that's fine. What? Is it she or he? It's a she. Okay. So it's Bobby with an I. Right. As in sort of like a southern yeah. bell. Anyway, yeah. Bobby, no, stairs, no way. Um, so it was actually Mark. Mark had to carry her down. It was an ex- It was an extraordinary feet of strength to carry an 18-week-old puppy downstairs. That's how big this dog is. Well, that's, I mean, I don't know what we were talking about there, the whole idea of the kind of 
the way that over time you just sort of get beaten down and just start to think of it's, it's amazing how you can adapt to almost anything so the news that like Ireland fans uh, <laughs> were searched going into a stadium in a different country in case they might have some propaganda materials it just almost doesn't seem surprising mm. just seems I know uh, it, of course I mean of you, course that happens you do sometimes need to just check yourself and say wait a minute that actually is pretty outrageous that's just I don't know. It's all a little bit strange. But, you know, over time, you can absolutely get used to anything, it turns out. So uh, so who knows what we'll be what we'll be talking about in a couple of years. Who's going to win the Manchester Derby, Ken? I'm anxious to know your thoughts. I uh, I would say Manchester United. Manchester United, they're the, they're the home team. I do like the fact that... Sergio Div- Aguero is suspended. Yeah, that's a big moment. That's a big thing. Um, I do like the, the way that both of them have won all of their games. I mean, this this fixture did look pretty tasty when the fixtures were released, but the fact that they've both won all three of their games does add a added frisson. Yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be big. I mean, it's not the only uh, big game on Saturday though, but it's the first game is uh Liverpool against Leicester is an interesting game in front of the new stand at Anfield. They've got to be the largest attendance at Anfield in 40 years. Um 54,000 or so they're expecting for that. Um, which is amazing when you think about it. Uh, back in 1976, 77, <laughs> there was 55,500 people in a much smaller Anfield. I mean, much smaller, uh, you know, on, uh, on all sides, essentially, apart from yeah. the fact that you could stand um, in large sections of the ground and what it must have been like to be in there with 55,000 people. Well, uh, Nicky Butt, looking back, would have said, Didn't do him any harm. Those are the days. Uh, but everybody uh, sitting in that big new stand with all the leg room, I feel, I'm sure we'll be hearing lots about uh, how uh, how wonderful it is uh, uh, over the weekend. So uh, we will be back on Monday. Owen will be back as well on Monday. And uh, I guess from myself and Kieran, that's goodbye. And thanks very much for listening. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.